Hello, and thank you for joining me here today on the Just 7 Steps podcast. Today, we'll be presenting part two of our very interesting discussion on ascent and education with my special guest, behavior analyst, Emily Wilson. As we left the conversation last time, I was discussing the new language I'm working on for step seven of instructional motivation. Let's pick up the conversation where we left off this week on Just 7 Steps. Welcome to the Just 7 Steps podcast with Robert Schramm, a board-certified behavior analyst, educator, author, and developer of the 7 Steps to Successful Parenting. For more than 20 years, Robert has been teaching parents and professionals how to support children in developing the values and priorities necessary to live a successful life. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the biggest experts in the fields of education, parenting, and behavior analysis. So buckle in and get ready for a wild ride where you'll learn to be your best in just seven steps. thought that uh, this would be a perfect time to unveil where I'm at currently with the language for step seven. Love to hear your thoughts. Um, I'm ready. My new idea for step seven. Step seven, troubleshooting the first six steps. Show your child that not following your most important instructions will not usually result in the same levels of reinforcement. All non-participation will be analyzed and problem-solved, but it will also be respected. I like it. That's where I'm at right now. And uh, what what is interesting now about the way that I teach the seven steps Mm -hmm. is that it's no longer a hard and fast rule to use extinction. Uh, Mm -hmm. In fact, step seven is now considered a troubleshooting step to help you consider all of your options of ways to respond when the first six steps have not resulted in the ascent that you were hoping for. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. What do you think? I do. I, I like that conceptualization. I think, you know, it's, it's a lot of words. It's a, it's a lot of thoughts to pack in to one step. Um, so think think of how complicated step seven is getting now, right? Um, all the things that you have to do with step seven, uh, to be able to use it well and not just blanket it over a child. Um, Mm -hmm. it really is about analyzing the antecedents and looking back over your first six steps and seeing if you gave your instructions the right way at the right time with enough motivation. Was there outside motivators? Does this child have a past history with this sort of uh, instruction and, and all of that on top of then determining um, what is your best path forward in the moment, um, whether moving on or um, some form of extinction, or at least just a lessening of the amount of available reinforcement might be an option for you. uh, And then making those decisions and going from there. So I really do want to look at step seven more as troubleshooting than a hard and fast rule. When you don't get this, you do this. I mean, and getting away even more so from that, that traditional type of language. I, I do. I really like that. I think um, a way that I like to conceptualize step seven related ideas for families in a way that's a little bit more fluid than um, fully, you know, this is extinction. This is the extinction condition right now um, is the idea of maintaining healthy boundaries Um I think that, uh, you know, with some of the earlier steps where we are teaching our learner that um, they can trust us, um, those are steps that really emphasize healthy boundaries. And step seven is also a step that emphasizes healthy boundaries. 
yes, you can withdraw your assent at any time. And I am not going to force you to do anything. And there are certain ways that you have to go about getting to X, Y, and Z. Um, I, I recently saw that uh, Jonathan, Amy, and Rochelle Yike were, uh, were presenting on degrees of freedom at ABAI. I, I had FOMO because I, I was not there. Can you, <laughs> yeah, uh, go ahead. Can you repeat their names again? Because you, you blanked out a little bit when you said them. Yes. So it's Jonathan, Amy, and Rochelle Yike. I okay. believe that's how you pronounce her last name. I'm sorry, Rochelle, if I mispronounced your name. <laughs> um, my maiden name is Dallas Flagger, so I can uh, I can relate to pronunciation. <laughs> German, right? Uh, it's Belgian, but yeah. Oh, Belgian. Okay. <laughs> yeah, close. Um, so, you know, when we are thinking about step seven, I think that the my way or the highway approach that we take with extinction neglects this really important idea of degrees of freedom. Very simply put, uh, degrees of freedom refer to it, it's an idea that Israel Gold Diamond came up a really long time ago um, that we don't focus on enough and um, has recently been repopularized, especially by folks like uh, Dr. Agatha Stockwell and Warner Leland, um, who are also big influences on um, my practice, um, in addition to jo- folks like Jonathan and Rochelle. Um, degrees of freedom uh, refers to the number of ways that you can access a reinforcer. So um, for instance, if that reinforcer is um, your mom's attention, uh, you can say her name, you can tap her on the shoulder, you can walk up to her and give her a hug, right? There's there, You have a, a variety of ways to access this one reinforcer. So um, they're the degrees of freedom if you have four ways to access the reinforcer, it's N minus one. So you, it, the degrees of freedom are three. Um, that said, talking about degrees of freedom, <laughs> because I think that this can really, uh, this idea can re- be really beautifully incorporated into the seven steps. We don't need to be, and specifically step seven, we don't need to be um, overly rigid when we implement a consequence or withhold a reinforcer based on a behavior, we can still embed those degrees of freedom at this point in the seven steps by saying, okay, you don't want to do it my way. Here are all of the ways that are acceptable to me for you to access this reinforcer. Um, And you can choose right? I'm not going to be coercive. I'm not going to be overly rigid in this situation. It's clear to me that I'm, I no longer have your assent. And in order to regain your assent, I am willing to be less rigid in my approach um, and allow you to have more autonomy over this interaction. And I think, I think the thing that people will say is, well, doesn't that lessen the effectiveness? But um, if you balance the the, the, the relationship value of that interaction and the trust that remains versus the trust you lose and pull away from, from saying my way or the highway 
um, I think that you find that those things end up balancing out as a, as a net positive for the relationship and for the learning value itself. And I, and I think that um, that's one of the things you mentioned, Dr. Greg Hanley. I think that's one of the things that, that his work has been so helpful for is bringing in this idea that you can be less rigid in these areas and kids will still want to engage with you if you're setting up the environment in the right way. And if you're, if you're worth being with, um, it was always the focus of, of the seven steps to be more value than the child could have without you. Um, but he was the one who kind of put some time and effort into the research, uh, along with Steve Ward, who did some research on uh, uh, task as its own reinforcer. Um, and I think that those things help us to understand that, yeah, you can still make this same type of progress. Um, and, you know, like Megan would say, you're, 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 um, you're paying homage to the human in front of you at, while doing so. Um, and I think that that's great. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, step seven has, has been an evolving step for me over the past 10 years. Uh, it has consistently been um, motivated to be more fluid and more open and more um, appreciative of, of all of these things. Uh, so it's about time that it gets a written update. Is there anyone else uh, that we haven't mentioned that you'd like to credit for helping you uh, see this need and the value for a more compassionate behavior analysis? Um, oh, yeah. Um, some of my favorite people. Uh, so Amy Evans has been a massive influence. If, if you find yourself being really into conversations about ascent and ascent-based practices, uh, the precision teachers are your people, right? The, the precision teachers are the folks who have spearheaded this kind of um, what used to be niche and is becoming more mainstream approach to service provision. Um, yeah, I, I really can't say enough about the extent to which Amy has really been pivotal in um, influencing um, my path forward at, after kind of really bringing me into the precision teaching fold. Um, and let me yeah. interrupt for just a second for our parents out there who um, <laughs> are, are not as um, informed or educated on the, the field of behavior analysis. Um, precision teaching um, <laughs> is how do you explain precision teaching? Um, it's, She's also it's really way, good at this. <laughs> it's a way of, I mean, I'm probably going to not do it justice, but it's a way of charting um, and identifying uh, in a better picture what it is that you're doing and making sure that a lot of the things that could get in the way with your basic, simple views. Uh, are not getting in the way. And I think that's probably the most basic and probably not perfect definition you've ever heard of precision teaching. But I just wanted to mention that real quickly, unless you want to add something to it before you go on. No, I will just refer folks to um, Ryan O'Donnell and Amy actually did this exact conversation in a much better way than we did. And it's available on YouTube and it's like a 90 second video clip. So if you're if you're really interested on, in what precision teaching is, uh, you can just leave this YouTube video and go to that YouTube video. Hey, stop doing that. It. <laughs> stop that. After, that's not how this, you listen to this. Make that's it not how this whole thing is supposed to work. <laughs> I'm supposed to keep people here. That's the whole point. That's why yeah, I invited yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, but yeah, Ryan O'Donnell, 
And mm -hmm. um, Amy, you said, Amy, what's her last name? Amy Evans. Amy Evans. So yes, mm -hmm. I give you all permission to look up <laughs> those two and precision teaching if, uh, if that's an area you'd like to learn more of. But do it after we're done, please. Not right mm -hmm. now. For sure. Stick around. We, we, we got and before you go, <laughs> now's the time to like and subscribe and uh, what else? That, that little bell thing you're supposed to hit, whatever that is uh, for, for messages or whatever, you know, do all the stuff you're supposed to do. And then when we're done, you can go check someone else out. <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah. So, and gosh, there, there have been a lot of influences on my career. Um, my my business partner, Katie Fitterer, is um, a really excellent example. She has really ushered me into the acceptance and commitment therapy space. And, um, you know, kind of piggybacking on that, the tar boxes have been just massively influential. Have, have there been uh, individuals, uh, have there been autistic individuals who've uh, you've communicated with who've who've involved this or or affected your your view on this as well? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I really am very intentional about uh, reading and listening to what autistic folks have to say um, about the about my practice. Um, I I listen to feedback from my clients, from autistic BCBAs. Um, you know, shout out to bearded behaviorists. Shout out to uh, Sarah Alford, who is a friend of mine, um, and as well as other uh, autistic self advocates who really um, done amazing work, putting themselves out there, doing a ton of labor on uh, behalf of their advocacy work. Um, Jeff Newman, Tara Vance. Uh, they are just, yeah, absolutely inspirational. Yeah, I really, I really like um, where this kind of area has gone. And I like that the space now has moved more towards true discussions. Uh, now that there are more autistic behavior analysts and there are more uh, adults with, with um, autism uh, who have uh, grown up in more of a modern ABA system who can say, yeah, I've, I've actually had really good experiences. And yeah, there were a couple of times I had some bad ones too. And we need to talk about that as opposed to we need to talk about ABA being good or bad, but we need to talk about that bad stuff that's been in ABA that needs to make sure it's not in there anymore. And so I've been really happy with the way that this has progressed. Um, I didn't know that we would ever get here and, um, and I'm glad that we have, so. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that, you know, it's really important. I, I try to really self-monitor my response when, um, when I hear criticisms of my practice, I think it's really important to acknowledge that we are nowhere near where we need to be as a field um, and that we're making baby steps, but baby steps are baby steps. And I'm glad that that's what's happening, which is real discussion uh, and real efforts on everyone's part to, to make ABA better and to make sure that um, scientific approaches um, really do respect um, the human in all situations. First of all, I'd like to say... <laughs> You know, it's it's been a real pleasure um, just getting to know you better. Um, as you know, we have had the chance to do some panel discussions together, and I'm always fascinated to hear your thoughts on uh, these issues. Um, and I know my viewers and listeners feel the same way. Um, I always like to know what 
is most pressing on my guest minds though in this moment and what is guiding their education of other BCBAs and other therapists? Is there anything you feel like we haven't covered or that maybe you didn't get enough time to talk about today? Uh, yeah, we didn't talk about the teaching arc. What? Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to talk about it. Um, no, I. there are a lot of really pressing things to deal with right away. Um, I think to your point earlier about step seven as a problem solving step that one of the most beneficial things that we can do for behavior analysts right now in this moment is create analysts who can dissect composite skill sets in such a way that shaping is comfortable for the learner. I think there the it really can't be overstated how important it is to shape a repertoire in a sequence and at a pace that is comfortable for the individual that um, pushes them slightly beyond stasis and not into distress. Um, and that is something that as a field we have yet to master. So looking at interventions from the antecedent perspective and from that problem solving perspective, where, how are we selecting targets? How can we be selecting targets better um, to prioritize ascent and uh, reliance on instructional motivation? Awesome. Um, and, you know, what, what that kind of led me into thinking was, you know, a lot of my audience here, uh, is not going to be the behavior analysis world. It's not going to be the autism world. It's going to just be parents who are struggling with some behaviors with their kids and struggling with knowing how to react. Um, I know that that idea of shaping is something that we really need to be better at, especially when we're dealing with um, kids who may be several years behind um, their typical developing peers in their ability to um, interact, but I'm wondering how that conversation will ultimately affect the way we approach um, using behavioral principles in support of, you know, a child who, when he, you know, comes home late from taking the car out, and, you know, supposed to be home at 11, it comes home at 11:15 every night, and mom and dad feel like they have to yell at them, uh, but the yelling doesn't help, and it doesn't get any better, and the kid keeps coming in late. Like, what are the things that they can do? Um, I'm always, I'm really interested in that space right now. Um, so I'm trying to, to figure out how that all plays together, but there's so much for us to think about and to do and talk about. And you're right. We're making baby steps. Um, and I think sometimes a big step is taken every now and then. Um, I like to think that, that a moving away from escape extinction with the seven steps early on was a fairly big step and getting that publicized to the 20, 30,000 books or so that I've had out there. Um, but I think it's time for another big step. I think we need to make another big step. And I'm glad that people like you are out there um, pushing for that. Okay. Last question. Okay. Uh, do you feel the, you know what? I'm not even going to ask that last question because I just kind of commented on it. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if you felt that we were over, we were overwhelming or do, doing a disservice to the field because of the severe, um, uh, focus on the autistic population. Mm. Uh, you know, 
I'm wondering if, if you know, I guess what I mean is, is, is behavior analysis, since the study of human behavior, do you think it deserves a more mainstream or less specialized push into regular education and typical parenting uh, for kids that are presenting behavior challenges? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I, I use behavior analysis in all facets of, of my personal and professional life. Um, you know, I, it's funny. <laughs> I just had this experience. So I have a four-year-old, um, this morning I was in the shower and I was thinking about how my four-year-old is really driving me nuts because he won't get his face wet. He, um, he likes to take a shower. He likes to take a bath. He will wipe his face off with a, like a damp washcloth, but I can't physically wash the child's face because he just won't submerge it in water. And um, I'm finally like, Em, if a parent came to you with this, you would be able to solve this problem for them. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are you doing? So in the shower, I'm like designing a program for my my neurotypical four-year-old. And I have a plan that I feel pretty solid is going to work. And it just... Yeah, this this is applicable to all types of situations. <laughs> it's any anywhere humans are behaving, ABA yeah. is relevant. Exactly. So for those <laughs> of you out there who can't get your kid to submerge their face, um, who <laughs> can't get them, who can't get them to brush their teeth, who who are mm-hmm. struggling because uh, you know morning routines are a nightmare, um, you need to look into the behavior analysis space. And you need to learn a little bit about the principles and, and let that help uh, help guide you in, in making some of these decisions. But let's look at step seven as a troubleshooting approach to figure out what we did wrong in the first six steps that we can fix going forward rather than what we should just do whenever we don't see what we want. Um, all right. So thank you so much. Uh, I know I speak for uh, our entire audience Uh, When I say thank you, Emily Wilson, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. I know you're over on the East Coast, so it's getting to be the end of your day. Uh, I'm so proud of the work that you and other progressive behavior analysts are doing and pushing the importance of assent and education. Keep up the great work and let me know if I can ever be of any help to you. Thanks so much, Robert. Yeah, and thank you. And, and, uh, um, let's keep doing it. Let's keep getting out there and, and talking to people and handling the pushback and, and see, uh, and see what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm on board. All right. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time and, and you take care. Thank you for taking the time to join me today on the just seven steps podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take just a moment to leave me a comment, give a thumbs up, share the video with others and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you won't miss out on any of our Just 7 Steps videos designed to help parents of children with challenges find your family's path to progress. See you right here next week.